Welcome back to the Compass Church. Love being with you all. And we are in a series called Origins where we're, we're looking at the origins of our church. This is the 70-year anniversary of our church. And it's really fun for me to study the past. And part of my study brought me to a location that the Naperville Evangelical Free Church rented and worshipped at back in 1965. When you look at origins of churches, ours included, you find the need to rent buildings when you don't own one. And in this case, I visited the Naperville Women's Club. Uh, this club meets in an amazing building. It's actually a building that's goes back to 1899. It was built as a church. It was the German Evangelical Church, and it's made with these huge stones in the Gothic Revival style. Really neat place. Well, the German church only lasted about 25 years, and when they shut down, they sold the building to the Women's Club, and it's been the Women's Club headquarters for nearly 100 years. And you can see why our church decided to rent this place to worship. Being that it was originally made as a church, it looks churchy, and it seems like a logical choice. What do you think of the choice? Women probably think it's a great choice. Some men would struggle going to a women's club for church. It would lead to some awkward conversations with guy friends. Can't you imagine? Some guy pulling his buddy aside and saying, hey, Frankie, I, I need to talk to you. Uh, there's rumors going around about you. I know they ain't true, but I need you to tell me it ain't so. It's been said you've been going to the woman's club, Frankie. And Frankie'd be like, no, 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 you, no. I go to church at the women's club. Frankie, why you go to a woman's church? No, 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 it's not a woman's church, you know, it's a, just a church that meets at a woman's club. Men are invited to go to the church at the women's club. In fact, it's a very masculine church at the women's club. You can see the awkwardness, can't you? And so, yeah, it probably uh, bothered a few men, but nonetheless, it was a good choice. Friends, the goofy places that our church has met over the years, as I've done my studies, I discovered that of our five campuses, we've met at seven different schools. No kidding. Uh, the Three Rivers campus met at the Huffer Junior High and the Timber Ridge Middle School. The Bolingbrook campus met at the Jane Addams Middle School in Northview Elementary. The South Naperville campus originally met at Crone Middle School, and the Naperville campus met at BB Elementary and Naperville North High School. How would you feel about going to church at a school? Kids, what if you were going to church at your school? Wouldn't that have been weird? 
to be at that same building five days for school and to come back for church on Sunday. But that's what we had to do. It's part of our origin story. Interestingly, our church met at two banks. We held church at a bank. That's right, friends. Uh, In our history, we worshiped at the Harris Bank and Wheatland Bank. How would you feel about going to church at a bank? Wake up, kids. It's time to go to bank. I mean, church at the bank. You know, that would have been strange. But we did it. Maybe the strangest of locations we've rented for worship is the original location we rented for worship. Our Wheaton campus, which is the original, we learned about it last week. Remember Carl Gunderson, this layman, a, a home builder, back in 1952 with a group of friends, said it's time for us to start a new church in Wheaton. That's how it came about. And when they started back in 1952, they rented the Masonic Temple in Wheaton. The Masons are a fraternity. It's a men's club. If the men struggled to worship at a ladies' club, how about the ladies struggling to worship at a men's club? And the Masons have got their secret rituals and some of their secret beliefs in it. They kind of have some mysterious creepiness to them that did bother a lot of people. One of the mysterious secret rituals that they did was party. And how do I know that? Because Carl Gunderson records that when our church arrived to worship there, they would find the main auditorium dirty. The floor was covered with empty beer bottles and cigarette butts. And Carl Gunderson said the first order of business was to sweep up all the after effects of this party. Would you go to church at a Masonic temple? (laughs) A lot of people did. In fact, it's how our church started. This tension that we feel, by the way, praise God for our buildings today, but the tension we feel with worship at these secular locations is based on the fact that in our minds, we like to separate the God stuff from the non-God stuff, the the sacred from the secular. There's a, there's a divide in our minds. And that divide is evident when I bump into some of you out and about town. You know, we're at the grocery store and you're like, oh, it's so weird seeing my pastor in a grocery store. You know, what'd you think? I got my food from, huh? But we, in our mind, we think God stuff, normal life stuff. And I'm here to tell you that this divide between the secular and the sacred is not a good thing. We're going to learn about that today. Remember, this series, Origins, is also a study of the building or the origins of the second temple in Jerusalem. And today we're going to learn about construction of that temple. And I'd ask you, is that sacred or secular? You'd say, well, sacred, it's going to be the temple of God. Yeah, but secular in that construction practice is the same, whether it's a temple or a library or a public hall. And so, Construction tends to be a rough-and-tumble act where the vocabulary is colorful and the, the struggle is real. And so I'd ask again, is it sacred or is it secular? As we're about to see, it's all sacred. God wants to be a part of it all. Yeah. 
What are your unique skills and talents? What do you feel like God has gifted you in? Whatever that is, we want to encourage you to use those gifts well. And you can do that here at the Compass Church. We want you to get off the sidelines and join us in serving in teams together here. If you are at all interested in learning more about what it might look like to use your particular skills here at the Compass Church, go to thecompass.net slash serve. Get us a little bit of information. We would love to be able to follow up with you over the course of this week to find out where you might best fit in. Now with that, let's get ready to continue this message together with our senior pastor, Jeff Griffin. So now we're on Ezra chapter three, and it says in verse one, when the people had settled in their towns, that means when they journeyed all the way from Babylon, when Cyrus had released them from their captivity, they, at least some, they traveled back to Jerusalem with the mission of rebuilding the temple, but they had to settle in the towns surrounding Jerusalem as well as in Jerusalem proper. When they had settled, it says, then the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. They've all come with their, with their hammers and they're ready to do construction. Can't you imagine the excitement as they're all saying, let's, let's build this thing. But check this out. They assembled together as one in Jerusalem. And then Joshua and his fellow priests, Joshua was the head priest, they began to build the altar of God. The altar was this raised platform where they did sacrifices. And it's a little odd that right away the priests are like, this is the first thing we got to do. In fact, in verse 3, look at this. It says, they built the altar and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening sacrifices. It had been the practice established by Moses that every day in the morning at 9 a.m., and when it says evening, it was actually late afternoon, 3 p.m., at those times there would be this sacrifice of a sheep that would be brought and killed and cooked on the altar as a act of worship to the Lord. And they did this. They reestablished the daily, the two daily sacrifices. Look at verse six. It wants to highlight something here. It says, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not even yet been built. You catch that? Before they even got the foundation stones going, they said, we've got to start daily sacrifices to the Lord. That must have been a little confusing to some who were like, let's go, baby, let's get working. Why, why, why these sacrifices? Friends, the sacrificial system spoke of two realities. Here's the first. It was a reminder that the people had been reconciled to God. The whole idea with the innocent lamb dying as the priest would actually put his hand on the lamb's head, symbolically transferring the guilt of the sin of the nation to the lamb. And when the lamb died, suffered capital punishment, it died as a substitute for the people, providing a way that sins could be forgiven and that the people could be reconciled to God. It all points to Jesus. You see that, don't you? John the Baptist did when he saw Christ. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus died to fulfill the imagery that the sacrificial lamb uh, had spoken of for centuries. 
So when the people saw the sacrifice, they knew, oh, yes, our sins have been forgiven. We've been reconciled to God. It reminded them that they and God were good. The second thing is that the sacrifices were a worship to the Lord. In fact, it says back in Leviticus 1.9 that God receives the sacrifice as a pleasing, sweet aroma. Pleasing, sweet aroma. Now, first of all, I relate to that. Whenever someone's grilling steaks in our neighborhood and you smell it, it's like, oh, I'm jealous. And you can imagine that God's saying, when you show this act of worship, I receive it. That aroma rises to my nostrils, God says. And I see your love, I receive your worship. Uh, in fact, it says in Romans 12:1 that we are to offer our lives as living sacrifices, not cooking animals anymore, but living for God as a living sacrifice. And it says, this is pleasing worship to God. So your whole life should be lived for the Lord as pleasing offering and worship. Similarly, in Colossians 3.23, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. So when construction began, I want you to imagine this, you know, they're out there working on the temple twice a day, 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. in the middle of construction there would be the announcement of the sacrifice, first audibly. The Bible says to blow a trumpet, so you can imagine the blaring trumpet. This is actually utilizing all of our, or a bunch of our senses. They would hear the trumpet, they would see the smoke rising, they would smell the aroma of the roasting meat. And these stimuli would remind them that all they do, including the construction of the temple, was worship to God. These priests wanted to make sure that though they got into work, the building of the temple, they must not do it without God. They can't separate God. God must be a part of their work. In fact, their work must be worship. I remember visiting a carpenter, a friend of mine who was working on a house, and he arrived with his work belt all set to dive in. And to my surprise, the first thing he did was grab a transistor radio and turn into a a Christian worship station and started playing the music all day long. His partner was also a believer and apparently appreciated it too. And so their work became worship. And friends, that's the goal for us too. And when we look at the origins of great stories, great God stories, there's hard work involved, but ideally you're worshiping the Lord as you do it. You're saying, God, I do it for you. Do you do that, friends? When you go to work, when you work at home, are you doing it for God, saying it's all worship, Lord? Friends, uh, this is a very important first lesson here out of these verses in Ezra. Let me show you the second. It says in Ezra 3 verse 4, Then in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles. (laughs) Okay, the festival of tabernacles was a week-long 
celebration of God's faithfulness to the Israelites back when they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Yeah, what they would do is they'd actually tent. The whole community was to tent for a whole week. Living in the tent reminded them of the wilderness wandering when the people had to live in tents. But it was that festival or feast, sometimes it's called, of tabernacles was such a blast. All the kids would get together and they'd be in tents together and feasting on food together and singing songs. It was quite the rocking time for a whole week. Now here's the rub. These people who are really ready to get going and to work hard, they hear the announcement, we're going to start by taking a week off? Are you kidding me? What about productivity? Let's get working. And yet, it was insisted that they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles first. In other words, they were saying, we must connect with God. The Feast of Tabernacles was a time to experience the joy of the Lord. And the people were saying, we need a whole week to really connect with God, to experience the joy in him. And then, with this tight connection to God, we'll move into labor. It was a choice to prioritize connection over production. You know, in our lives, there's always this tension sometimes between getting stuff done and connecting with God. Well, the Israelites are showing us their... Pro yeah, do they want to make progress? Yes. Do they want to hit deadlines? Sure. But more important than those deadlines is that they connect with the Lord, that they're feeling the tightness, that the joy of the Lord is filling them. In fact, Ezra, next book is Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, there's this famous quote. It says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You want to be strong and working? You be well connected with God and find joy in him, and your work will be inspired. Uh, friends, this is so important. So often, work chases away thoughts of God. We get so intense and focused on productivity that God is just pushed out of our minds. These people weren't going to let that happen. I'll give you an analogy. Uh, recently, we went on vacation and we flew, and I was leading my family through the airport to get on the plane, which is rather evolved. You know, you've got tickets to pick up and luggage to pack and security to negotiate and you know, get to the right gate. And it requires a focused leader. And I tend to get rather intense in airports. In fact, my daughter, Janae, put together a photo uh, slideshow of Travel Dad. It's all these pictures of me really intense. And I was kind of embarrassed when she showed me. I'm like, I really get that intense, huh? And they're like, yeah, Dad, you're no fun in the airport. I, I forget to enjoy my family when I'm focused on the mission of getting on the plane. And similarly, when we're focused on the mission to get work done, we sometimes forget about God. We push him out of the way. Sorry, Lord, I'm so focused on productivity that I don't have mental space to acknowledge your presence with me. God says, don't live that way. The Lord calls us to eliminate hurry, even when we're working, and work in such a way that we can be mindful of him and enjoy a recognition of his presence and love in the midst of our labor. 
Not only are we to work for God, that's when the worship, you know, the smoke and the sacrifice were going up. That's the first point we learned. Do your work for him as worship, but also do it with him. Let the joy of the Lord and your connectedness to the Lord permeate your day and all that you do for him. Work for him, work with him. Now, one more lesson I, I want to show. And, and this starts in verse 10. Check this out. It says, when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord. All right, finally, some would say. They're making progress. The, the, the foundation has been laid. It says, when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites with cymbals took their places to praise the Lord. <laughs> can imagine the builders, you know, are dirty and sweating and all of a sudden they see these church guys marching around in their worship uniforms ready to, what, have a service? Says that they sang to the Lord, he is good, his love towards Israel endures forever. They started singing worship songs celebrating God's goodness and his love for us. Can't you imagine the construction guys going, really? All we got done is the foundation, friends. It's not exactly time for a break. But apparently the idea of worship at this moment caught the crowd because look at verse 11. All the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. They're like, yeah, it's true. We're a long ways from being done. The foundation is just a small but first step. But these priests were like, yeah, but it's a victory. And so let's celebrate God because of this progress. I know some of us are like, we'll celebrate when it's over. But what we're learning here is along the way to recognize the goodness of God, the love of God, and to say, Lord, I'm a long way from being done, but... I had a good hour. I had a good day. And so I'm just going to celebrate it with you. Thank you for helping me, Lord. Thank you for showing your goodness and your love this day. I celebrate incremental progress, even though I'm a long way from completion. Friends, do you see the brilliance of these Israelites? Rather than saying, oh, let's build a building and let's focus all on the work, they were committed to combining the secular task of labor and the sacred worship of the Lord. They're like, no, we're not going to separate them. God's going to invade every day, all day. And we see that. Let me just do a review. All that they did was worship to the Lord. That trumpet and the smell of the sacrifice and the sight of the smoke reminded them that all they do is for the Lord. They did it for him. They did it with them, the prioritization of connecting with God in the festival of tabernacles first. They prioritized connection over production. We must do the same. And then third, celebrate and praise God for progress. Along the way, even though you're far from completion, celebrate God. Friends, we're going to end this service by taking communion just a reminder, this is a chance for you to hit pause and to go get some bread or cracker and a beverage to celebrate and commemorate what Christ has done for us. 
You know, think about it. They had the sacrificial system back in Ezra. Twice a day, they had the, the ritual of seeing the sacrifice go up. Remember, it helped them remember that they were forgiven and reconciled with God. Well, we don't do sacrifices, but we do do this. This helps us remember that we're forgiven. Christ is the ultimate sacrifice, and we're right with God. And so, uh, as you have your communion elements, I invite you to open up uh, whatever piece of bread you've got and take that. It was when Jesus gathered with his disciples on the night before he was crucified that he said, this is the tradition I want you to do now. Do this to remember what I do for you. Christ said, I am about to go and allow them to destroy my body. I will suffer death so that you're forgiven. And so, friends, let's take the bread in remembrance of Christ's death on the cross for us. And then Jesus took the cup. And Jesus said, this cup symbolizes my blood, which I freely shed. No one's taking my life. I'm not being forced to die. I'm letting them take my life because I love you, because I want you to know you're forgiven and you're right with God. Let's take the cup together in remembrance of his shed blood for us. Lord, in all of our homes, we give you thanks as we pause to remember how good you have been to us. You are good, and your love endures forever. And we are so grateful for this reminder that we're right with you. We're reconciled and forgiven because of what Christ did on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. We love having you each and every week, just like we've also loved where we've been going with this sermon series of Origins. Before you take off, in the show notes, you're going to find a link to our connection card. It's the compass.net slash connection card, and it's the best way for us to have known that you've been here with us and the best place for you to put your specific prayer requests in. Our staff and volunteer team would be honored to be praying for you specifically over the course of this coming week. And we also want to thank you for your generosity and support for those of you that give to the mission and vision of the Compass Church. We would encourage each and every person to be able to do just that as God allows them. If you're interested, go to thecompass.net slash give. It'll be a really quick, easy, convenient way for you to be able to partner with us financially here at the Compass Church, where we're all about helping people find and follow God. We're going to continue our sermon series Origins next time we're together. So make sure to stop back and join us here at the Compass Church.